Chapter Twenty of Mr. Scarborough's Family. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeff Blanchard. Mr. Scarborough's Family by Anthony Trollope. Chapter Twenty. Mr. Gray's Opinion of the Scarborough Family. Had Augustus been really anxious to see Mr. Gray before Mr. Gray went to his father, he would probably have managed to do so. He did not always tell Mr. Jones everything. So the fellow has hurried up to the governor the moment he came into the house, he said. He's with him now. Of course he is. Never mind. I'll be even with him in the long run. Then he greeted the lawyer with the mock courtesy as soon as he saw him. I hope your journey has done you no harm, Mr. Gray. Not in the least. It's very kind of you, I'm sure, to look after our poor concerns with so much interest. Jones, don't you think it's time that they gave us some dinner? Mr. Gray, I'm sure, must want his dinner. All in good time, said the lawyer. You shall have your dinner, Mr. Gray. It is the least we can do for you. Mr. Gray felt in every sound of his voice there was an insult, and took special notice of every tone, and booked him all down in his memory. After dinner he asked some unimportant questions with reference to the meeting that was to take place in the morning, and was at once rebuked. I do not know that we need to trouble our friends here with our private concerns, he said. Not in the least, said Mr. Gray. You have already been talking about them in my presence and in his. It is necessary that I should have a list of the creditors before I can advise your father. I don't see it, but, however, that is for you to judge. Indeed, I do not know on what points my father wants your advice. A lawyer generally furnishes such a list. Then Mr. Gray took up a book and was soon left alone by the younger men. In the morning he walked out in the park so as to have some free time for thought. Not a word further had been said between him and Augustus touching their affairs. At breakfast Augustus discussed with his friend the state of the odds respecting some race and then the characters of certain ladies. No subject could have been less interesting to Mr. Gray, as Augustus was aware. They breakfasted at ten, and twelve had been named for the meeting. Mr. Gray had an hour, or an hour and a half, for his walk, in which he could again turn over in his mind all these matters of which his thoughts had been full for now many a day. Of two or three facts he was certain. Augustus was the legitimate heir of his father. Of that he had seen ample documentary evidence. The word of no Scarborough should go for anything with him. But of that fact he was assured. Whether the squire knew aught of Mountjoy, he did not feel sure, but Augustus did, he was quite certain. Who was paying the bills for the scapegrace during his travels he could not say. But he had thought it probable that Augustus was finding the money. He, Mountjoy, was kept away, so as to be out of the creditor's way. He thought, therefore, that Augustus was doing this, so that he might the more easily buy up the debts. But why should Augustus go to the expense of buying up the debts, seeing that the money must ultimately come out of his own pocket? Because, so Mr. Gray thought, Augustus would not trust his own father. The creditors, if they could get hold of Mountjoy when his father was dead, and when the bonds would all become payable, might possibly so unravel the fact 
so as to make apparent that, after all, the property was Mountjoy's. This was not Mr. Grey's idea, but was Mr. Grey's idea of the calculation which Augustus was making for his own government. According to Mr. Grey's reading of all the facts of the case, such were the suspicions which Augustus entertained in the matter. Otherwise, why should he be anxious to take a step which would redound only to the advantage of the creditors? He was quite certain that no money would be paid, at any rate by Augustus, solely with the view of honestly settling their claims. But there was another subject which troubled his mind excessively as he walked across the park. Why should he soil his hands, or at any rate trouble his conscience, with an affair so unclean, so perplexed, and so troublesome? Why was he there at Tretton at all, to be insulted by a young blackguard such as he believed Augustus Scarborough to be? Augustus Scarborough, he knew, suspected him, but he, in return, suspected Augustus Scarborough. The creditors suspected him. Mountjoy suspected him. The squire did not suspect him, but he suspected the squire. He never could again feel himself to be on comfortable terms of trusting legal friendship with a man who had played such a prank in reference to his marriage as this man had performed. Why then should he still be concerned in a matter so distasteful to him? Why should he not wipe his hands of it all and retreat? There was no act of Parliament compelling him to meddle with the dirt. Such were his thoughts, but yet he knew that he was compelled. He did feel himself bound to look after the interests which he had taken in hand now for many years. It had been his duty, or the duty of someone belonging to him, to see into the deceit by which an attempt had been made to rob Augustus Scarborough of his patrimony. It had been his duty for a while to protect Mountjoy and the creditors who had lent their money to Mountjoy, from what he had believed to be a flagitious attempt. Then, as soon as he felt that the flagitious attempt had been made previously in Mountjoy's favour, it became his duty to protect Augustus, in spite of the strong personal dislike which, from the first, he had conceived for that young man. And then, he doubtless had been attracted by the singularity of all that had been done in the affair, and of all that was likely to be done. He had said to himself that the matter should be made straight, and that he would make it straight. Therefore, during his walk in the park, he was resolved that he must persevere. At twelve o'clock he was ready to be taken up to the sick man's room. When he entered it, under the custody of Miss Scarborough, he found that Augustus was there. The squire was sitting up, with his feet supported, and was apparently in a good humour. "'Well, Mr. Gray,' he said, "'have you settled this matter with Augustus?' "'I have settled nothing.' He has not spoken to me about it at all, said Augustus. I told him I wanted a list of creditors. He said that it was my duty to supply it. That was the extent of our conversation, which he thought it expedient to have in the presence of my friend, Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones is very well in his way, but he is not acquainted with all my affairs. Your son, Mr. Scarborough, has made no tender to me of any information. Nor, sir, has Mr. Gray sought for any information from me. During this little dialogue, Mr. Scarborough turned his face with a smile from one to the other, without a word. 
if mr grey has anything to suggest in the way of advice let him suggest it said augustus now mr grey said the squire with the same smile till i get further information said mr grey i can only limit myself to giving the advice which i offered to you yesterday perhaps you will repeat it so that he may hear it said the squire if you get a list of those whom your son mountjoy owes money and an assurance that the monies named in that list have been from time to time lent by them to him the actual amount i mean then i think that if you and your son augustus shall altogether choose to pay those amounts you will make the best reparation in your power for the injuries you have no doubt done in having contrived that it should be understood that mountjoy was legitimate you need not discuss said the squire any injuries that i have done i have done a great many no doubt but continued the lawyer before any such payment is made close inquiries should be instituted as to the amount of money which have absolutely passed we should certainly be taken in said the squire i have great admiration for mr samuel hart i do believe that it would be found impossible to extract the truth from mr samuel hart if mr samuel hart does not make money yet out of poor mountjoy i shall be surprised the truth may be ascertained said mr grey you should get some accountant to examine the cheques when i remember how easy it was to deceive some real clever men as to the evidence of my marriage began mr scarborough so the squire began but then stopped himself with a shrug of his shoulders among the really clever men who had been easily deceived mr grey was if not actually first in importance foremost at any rate in name the truth may be ascertained mr grey repeated almost with a scowl of anger upon his brow well yes i suppose it may it will be difficult in opposition to mr samuel hart you must satisfy yourself at any rate these men will know that they have no other hope of getting a shilling it is a little hard to make them believe anything said the squire they fancy you know that if they could get a hold of mountjoy so as to have him in their hands when the breath is out of my body and the bonds are really due that then it may be made to turn out that he is really the heir we know that it is not so said mr grey at this augustus smiled blandly we know but it is what we can make mr samuel hart know in truth mr samuel hart never allows himself to know anything except the amount of money which he may have at his bankers and it will be difficult to convince mr tyrrett mr tyrrett is assured that all of us you and i and mountjoy and augustus are in a conspiracy to cheat him and the others i don't wonder at it said mr grey perhaps not continued the squire the circumstances no doubt are suspicious but he will have to find out his mistake augustus is very anxious to pay these poor men their money it is a noble feeling on the part of augustus you must admit that mr grey the irony with which this was said was evident in the squire's face and voice augustus only quietly laughed the attorney sat as firm as death he was not going to argue with such a statement or to laugh at such a joke i suppose it will come to over one hundred thousand pounds eighty thousand i should think said augustus the bonds amount to a great deal more than that twice that it is for him to judge said the squire 
whether he is bound by his honour to pay so large a sum to men whom I do not suppose he loves very well. The estate can bear it, said Augustus. Yes, the estate can bear it, said the attorney. They should be paid what they have expended. That is my idea. Your son thinks that their silence will be worth the money. What makes you say that? demanded Augustus. Just my opinion. I look upon it as an insult. Would you be kind enough to explain to us what is your reason for wishing to do this thing? asked Mr. Gray. No, sir, I decline to give any reason. But those which you ascribe to me are insulting. Will you deny them? I will not assent to anything coming from you, nor will I deny anything. It is altogether out of your place as an attorney to ascribe motive to your clients. Can you raise the money so that it shall be forthcoming at once? That is a question. On your father's authority, backed by your signature, I imagine that I can do so, but I will not answer as a certainty. The best thing would be to sell a portion of the property. If you and your father will join, and Mountjoy also with you, it may be done. What has Mountjoy got to do with this? asked the father. You had better have Mountjoy also. There may be some doubt as to the title. People will think so after the tricks that have been played. This was said by the lawyer, but the squire only laughed. He always showed some enjoyment of fun which arose from the effect of his own scheming. The legal world, with its entails, had endeavoured to dispose of his property, but he had shown the legal world that it was not an easy task to dispose of anything in which he was concerned. "'How will you get hold of Mountjoy?' asked Augustus. Then the two older men only looked at each other. Both of them believed that Augustus knew more about his brother than anyone else. I think you had better send for Mr. Ainsley and ask him. What does Ainsley know about him? asked the squire. He was the last person who saw him, at any rate in London. Are you sure of that? said Mr. Gray. I think I may say that I am. I think at any rate that I know that there was a violent quarrel between them in the streets, a quarrel in which the two men proceeded to blows, and that Ainsley struck him in such a way as to leave him for dead upon the pavement. Then the young man walked away, and Mountjoy has not been heard of, or, at least, has not been seen since. That a man should have struck such a blow, and then, on the spur of the moment, thinking of his own safety, should have left his opponent, I can understand. I should not like to be accused of such treatment myself, but I can understand it. I cannot understand that the man should have been missing altogether, and that then he should have held his tongue. How do you know all this? asked the attorney. It is sufficient that I know it. I don't believe a word of it, said the squire. Coming from you, of course I must put up with any contradiction, said Augustus. I should not bear it from any one else. And he looked at the attorney. One has the right to ask for your authority, said his father. I cannot give it. A lady is concerned whose name I shall not mention, but it is of less importance, as his own friends are acquainted with the nature of his conduct. Indeed, it seems odd to see you two gentlemen so ignorant as to the matter which has been the subject of common conversation in most circles. His uncle means to cut him out from the property. Can he too deal with the entail? said the squire. He is still in middle life, and he can marry. That is what he intends to do. So much is his disgust with his nephew. He has already stopped the young man's allowance, and swears that he shall not have a shilling of his money if he can help it. The police for some time were in great doubt, 
whether they would not arrest him. I think I am justified in saying that he is a thorough reprobate. You are not at all justified, said the father. I can only express my opinion, and I am glad to say that the world agrees with me. It is sickening, absolutely sickening, said the squire, turning to the attorney. You would not believe now, but he stopped himself. What would not Mr. Gray believe? asked the son. There is no one one knows better than you that after the row in the street, when Mountjoy was, I believe, the aggressor, he was again seen by another person. I hate such deceit and scheming. Here Augustus smiled. What are you sniggering there at, you blockhead? Your hatred, sir, at deceit and scheming. The truth is that when a man plays a game well, he does not like to find that he has an equal. Heaven forbid that I should say that there is rivalry here. You, sir, are so preeminently the first that no one can touch. Then he laughed long, a low, bitter, inaudible laugh, during which Mr. Gray sat silent. This comes well from you, said the father. Well, sir, you would try your hand upon me. I have passed over all that you have done on my behalf, but when you come to abuse me, I cannot quite take your word as calmly as though there had been, no, shall I say, antecedents. Now about this money, are we to pay it? I don't care one straw about the money. What is it to me? I don't owe these creditors anything. Nor do I. Let them rest then, and do the worst they can. But upon the whole, Mr. Gray, he added after a pause, I think we had better pay them. They have endeavoured to be insolent to me, and I have therefore ignored their claim. I have told them to do their worst. If my son here will agree with you in raising the money, and if Mountjoy, as he, too, is necessary, will do so, I too will do what is required of me. If eighty thousand pounds will settle it all, there ought not to be any difficulty. You can inquire what the real amount would be. If they choose to hold their bonds, nothing will come of it. That's all. Very well, Mr. Scarborough, then I shall know how to proceed. I understand that Mr. Scarborough, Jr. is an assenting party. Mr. Scarborough, Jr. signified his assent by nodding his head. That will do, then, for I think that I have little exhausted myself. Then he turned round upon his couch, as though he intended to slumber. Mr. Gray left the room, and Augustus followed him, but not a word was spoken between them. Mr. Gray had an early dinner, and went up to London by an evening train. What became of Augustus he did not inquire, but he simply asked for his dinner and for a conveyance to the train. These were forthcoming, and he returned that night to Fulham. Well, said Dolly, as soon as she had got him his slippers and made him his tea, I wish with all my heart I had never seen any one of the name of Scarborough. That is, of course, but what have you done? The father has been a great knave. He has set the laws of his country at defiance, and should be punished most severely, and Mountjoy Scarborough has proved himself to be unfit to have any money in his hands. A man so reckless is little better than a lunatic but compared with Augustus, they are both estimable, amiable men. The father has ideas of philanthropy, and Mountjoy is simply mad. But Augustus is as dishonest as either of them, and is odious also all around. Then, at length, he explained all that he had learned, and all that he had advised, and at last went to bed combating Dolly's idea, that the Scarboroughs ought now to be thrown over altogether. End of chapter 20